One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That was a turning point at that, and I, I still think it was. It was a turning point of the culture of that club that did not matter who you are, what you did, and how successful you'd been previously. If you weren't able to live up to play your full potential in your position in this team, not get a game. Today I bring you part two of our interview with Scott Hill, the final part of this interview, of course, and this is a cracking chat. We kick off in the year 2000, and if you listen to part one, and if you haven't yet, I advise you go back and have a listen. He talks about in 1999, he had a shoulder injury, and then while he was in rehab, he went home to visit his parents, and on a night out, essentially got attacked, got hit over the back of the head with a plank of wood or something, and he almost lost his life, Scott Hill, in 1999. Of course, on the field, the Melbourne Storm, his side, they go on to win that premiership that year, and he misses out on all of it. Uh, meanwhile, he's in hospital fighting for his life. He manages to overcome the terrible head injuries that he suffered and he returns in the year 2000 and Scott Hill, being the natural footballer he is, he makes a move from 5'8 into the lock forward jersey for the Melbourne Storm and it opens up an unbelievable amount of opportunities. He represents the Kangaroos, he represents New South Wales, he does absolutely everything in our game. A sensational uh, recovery story for a guy like Scott Hill, just brilliant. After that, we talk about all of the Melbourne Storm history. So he was obviously there from 1998. And from about 2003, there's four names that start to emerge that will dominate rugby league for the next 15 years. The first is Craig Bellamy. Second is Cameron Smith. Third is Billy Slater. And fourth is, of course, Cooper Cronk. Now, Scott Hill played with all of these guys. Uh, Craig Bellamy, he, he was there for Bellamy's first ever preseason. An amazing story there. Craig Bellamy... He set the standards very early. Cooper Cronk, he was there watching him come through when Matt Orford left. They needed a new halfback. Cooper Cronk stepped in, and, and uh, of course, Scott Hill partnered him at 5'8". So watching... The development of Cooper Cronk and hearing that story from Scott Hill's perspective, unbelievable. Billy Slater, he remembers him coming through a young kid that burst onto the scene in a game against Cronulla. Long, flowing hair scored an unbelievable try. Scott also talks about the influence that Robbie Ross had on his career, which is extremely underrated. And then, of course, Cameron Smith. His debut game, he plays halfback. Guess who his halves partner is? You know it, Scott Hill. A very interesting perspective on all of these champion guys, all of these legends of rugby league in their own right, told by 
by Scott Hill. He also touches on his current coaching career. He's up there at the Redcliffe Dolphins, coaching with Adam Mogg as the head coach, and the two assistants are himself and Justin Hodges. A couple of really interesting stories, and talking about how the modern game, it's sort of going back to the footy that Hodjo and Scott Hill played when they were younger, sort of a more of an eyes-up sort of brand of footy and how they're helping out the Redcliffe Dolphins there. This is a fantastic chat with a fantastic bloke. Let's kick it off. Scott Hill, what a moment in his career. Spent the greater portion of last year out with that shoulder injury. It cost him a berth in the grand final. During his recuperation, somebody belted him over the head with a, an iron bar or something. And here he is back scoring a try at Origin level. Um, it was a tough year for me, 99. Wow. <laughs> that, was, that was in August before the grand final. So, you know, but um, look, at the end of the day, you like that, make you a better person, make you stronger about who you are and um, make you determined to, to work even harder. And I, and I probably had the toughest and the biggest preseason I had of my whole career and Hence the the return of um, the opportunity to play Origin, playing an Anzac Day Test and win a World Cup in 2000 individually. It was yeah, it was a was a good year in 2000. In 2000, you you mentioned your Makey Kangaroo debut in the Anzac Test, and in a bit of a strange situation, obviously your club coach is the Australian coach. So, did you find out with a normal phone call? Were you sort of tipped off at training? Did you have some idea it was coming? What what was the go? Um, no, I wasn't. I think I, I forget now. It's funny. I got a call off. Did I get a call off? I don't know if I got a call off the coach or not. He might have told me training or, or at, at, after the game, maybe. Just trying to think. I don't remember, to tell you the truth. I would have rather you make something up just quietly. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that, yeah, maybe it was that, maybe it was that hit in the head I got, mate. Um, struggle with it, you know, but I think I. Now he might have mentioned to me that I was an opportunity. There was a there was a chance, you know, a few weeks running into it, but there was nothing ever in sort of concrete or anything like that. So I think it might have been the footy manager that rang me, you know, and then obviously then he rang me as well. So um, pretty exciting, you know, to be able to play for your country before you even play Origin, which is, you know, that's sort of back back to front. But I was happy with it. Mate, you obviously mentioned some of the guys that you went on the World Cup with uh, were in this team, obviously Lockie, Freddie, etc. Uh, mate, I imagine walking into that uh, that hotel or wherever it was, it must have been pretty daunting when you first arrived there. Yeah, absolutely. It was probably a bit like the Benny Icon story about with Fatty in the, in, the, in the lift. That's about how I felt. I felt like a kid, a young kid in, buddy, in a lolly factory, you know, and it was just, I suppose it, you know, you take it, you take things in your stride, and you just mix with them, and you you get to know each other, and you have a beer, and it doesn't take too long where you sort of loosen up a bit, and you know, realise that you're then a bigger icon than what you you are personally at that at that present moment. You know, so it was an opportunity, and the gratitude I have for having those chances to to one to play with those sort of people, to mix with those guys. That's a great thing that rugby league does. It pulls people together. It breaks egos down, and it doesn't doesn't separate you know anyone you know. And um, and and again, I keep talking about it. The gratitude I have for for that opportunity in my in my life is something that I'll always you know be um, be grateful of. And uh, a pretty big win in win in that first game too. Fifty two nil, unheard of. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was pretty exciting. I remember you know to to go into a game and you know, all Anzac tests are tough. But I guess it showed what the caliber of the footy team that we had that year, um, you know, overwhelming in, in the talent that we had and 
yeah, obviously that night we we turned it on, and New Zealand probably probably weren't at their best, you know. So um, yeah, to win fifty two nil in my my debut for Australia was uh, yeah, something to remember. Mate, uh, obviously 2000, big season for you, Kangaroos debut. We'll talk about Origin in a minute. But uh, another thing I want to ask you about, you make the move to the 13 jersey. And I guess I, I don't think the 13 jersey has ever been closer then to what it is now. It is starting to become uh, an extra ball player on the field. Yes. That jersey, I mean, it was much more suited to you back then. But why did you make the move, especially after I'm learning about that head knock and everything? I mean, I would have thought jumping in the middle – might have been a little bit of a uh, of a worry for you there. Tell me about that move. How did it come about? Yeah, I just think I think um, Warren Nickout obviously um, had left us, so there was someone they had to put someone there, um, and they had that young Ty um, Tessa Lavia obviously was coming through, and he um, he showed a lot of talent as well, and showed some opportunity. And you know, Chris sat me down and said, "Look, I, I think." Because I guess part of my strengths as a five-eight was running. I was a running five-eight, um, and uh, he saw that as an opportunity um, to put me in and start playing with people through the middle, and um, you know, use my skill to be able to you know play all over the field, you know, rather than be stuck in certain ways and certain positions, you know, so in certain parts of the field. So um, I, I found it exciting I found it as a I naturally um, enjoyed that game and and I guess you know, we talk about it my role now at, at um, Redcliffe Dolphins is as a skill coach working through the spine and um, back then well, football as you grew up as a young player then was about playing what was in front of you um, taking advantage of tired forwards um, using footwork and a bit of mouse with your with your with your um, ball game um, and I guess that was one of my strengths and my ability to run and, and take the line on was something that naturally came to me and you know, since I've been at the Redcliffe Dolphins and, and even just the game now and even watching the game even at the NRL level and, and the levels under it the lack of vision of halves these days is it blows my mind um, and which their fault it's not their fault at all because they've been coached to play that way because of, you know, clubs like Melbourne Storm and so forth have played to structure and everything to them is about preempted, about going to a plan. It's a bit gridiron-like. And you know, it's trying – the exciting thing for me as a, as a skill acquisition coach at Redcliffe and, and at any level is really opening up these players' eyes to – to look at the opportunities that's going to present itself, especially now with this six again rule. Geez, I wish I, we had this. We had this rule when I was playing, you know, because <laughs> you know it's just trying to teach them about the identification of deficiencies in defence that are created through fatigue, are created through the, the, the quickness of the game. You know, they're they're sort of it's in a way I'm trying to re-educate. It's like taking a kid back to school, and it's hard to get them out of habits where. You know, they're actually, when the play the ball is being played, they're looking at the play the ball and they're looking at the guys beside them and they're not even looking at the defensive line. And that's that's the thing that blows my mind the most is, and you see it in young halves, you see it in even halves at the NRL level. They don't, for me, naturally, as soon as the play the ball is being played, I'm just scouring the defensive line to look at where I can look at having a crack. 
Whereas, you know, they play at too much depth and they don't understand you know, the difference of playing um, a quick player. If you're playing deep, the defence starts dictating to you. So they don't know the, the intricacies of these sorts of things as playing as a half. And I guess or now there's the opportunity for these these 13s to be playing like a half, to be playing up-tempo, playing forward, taking advantage of tied front rowers coming up the line sideways or, you know, having an opportunity to, you know, beat a defensive line with a pass. You know, they don't even know that, to be able to turn by change of direction on a pass. Or, um, so I'm excited to be part of um, coaching staff to be able to re-educate halves on the opportunities in front of them you know and that's what I yeah I'm getting a lot out of it and, and it's you know it's reinvigorated me um, in I guess my direction forward so as a coach um, yeah mate I, I've got an under 16 side that I coach and they're only club level but I, like I feel with my halves like they just like even a basic skill like counting numbers has even just gone out the window because you're exactly yeah. right. Blokes don't look up like my my little brother. He's coming through the Harold Mats at the Roosters, and I go and watch them every week. And that th- they are so they they know on first tackle what the play is going to be on fifth, and they work to that. That you're right. They never look up. They never count numbers. There's never the guy that I love to watch in the NRL is Luke Keary. I think he's the absolute king of yeah. short sights simply because. He plays eyes up, he reads numbers, and, and he just goes to where the numbers yeah. lack. And it's such a lost art at the moment. Yeah, and even sometimes it's not even – you don't have extra numbers. You might have the same numbers, but you've got a bit of width to be able to play a bit of change of direction and to try and beat someone with a pass, you know? And they don't even realise that. They think, oh, there's three players there and there's, there's, there's three attackers having a crack at them. But if you're playing on a, on a short side that's got about 25 metres and there's only three on that, there's a lot you can do there. Mate, especially um, with some of these bodies running around. I mean, I, I watched David Fafita on the weekend. He scored two tries. Everyone said how well he's going. I sat there and went, fuck, how on earth isn't it hard putting him in for a try every week? If you can just get him one-on-one with any other human, they're not going to stop him. Absolutely. So, you know, it's and it's teaching players too that because they've come through this structured play, like they, put, they set something up for a big move and they think the big moves, they've got to score off it or do something like it. I said, look, it's not about that. You know, you're, you're running a block play to manipulate the defence so you can either get a one-on-one tackle and then go the second, go straight after on a quick play the ball. It's not to score a try. It's, it's okay to get tackled. Or and for the halves, I said, it's okay. You know, you're allowed to get tackled as a half. <laughs> you know, and it's don't be afraid to get tackled. And I try and teach my halves is first touch of the ball in the game, run the ball. Because every time after that, the defensive line's going to make a decision on is he going to run or is he going to pass? They they struggle to do that. They're, they're very preempted. They've sort of, when the play of the ball's being played, they know exactly what they're going to do. doesn't matter what the defense is in front of them. They know what they're going to do. So, yeah, so it's, look, it's, um, yeah, it's a really good opportunity to re-educate halves on the opportunities that are going to present themselves with the new rules on the six-again rule. Fatigue comes into the game. It's making it an exciting game of uh, a game again, you know. And yeah, you're right. Probably two years ago, it was too structured and it was too mundane a game, you know. Whereas last year was an exciting year of, of rugby league. There's some great tries scored, but they were just just genuine footy scores. Like teams going down a short side playing numbers. I said, when did you see a try scored like that? You know, in that structured football, you never saw it. Yeah. You know, so it's 
you know, it's opening up, you know, a really great um, product to, to the public as well. Mate, obviously your head coach at Redcliffe there, uh, Adam Mogg's in charge, and I believe you and Hodjo are the assistants. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it is, mate. So yeah. obviously, mate, the the three of you played the vast majority of your career, except for maybe Hodjo. He would have seen the start of sort of the block plays come, be, becoming a real thing each and every week in the NRL. Do you feel like Adam Mogg is still – does he feel the pressure of sort of staying within those structures? Because it's sort of like if you're – sort of been the last few years in rugby league as soon as you go outside of those structures of the block plays and everything and it doesn't go well everyone looks at you like what on earth is he doing and then you know i know up there in that queensland cup we had the ipswich jets who came out a few years ago and played completely outside the box which yes you know it, it was extreme but it really was just closer to 90s footy than modern footy now do you feel like there's pressure on adam mog to sort of you know stay down the garden path and and, and fit between the lines Oh, well, whether there's pressure or not, Moggy don't, Moggy don't take, take any notice to it. Yeah. We think yeah. a lot. I guess the exciting thing about with Moggy, we, we both come through that era of football yep. and know how to play football. And he's not shy and he won't knock his players from playing football. Yeah, you, you, you play to a, a certain structure to manipulate defensive lines. And you use the block face to do that. And if you do it right, it can be a very good tool to then open up the opportunity to then play footy. Um, but at the same time, Moggy's very, very aware of fatigue coming into the game, you know, taking advantage of that, taking advantage of space, you know. Um, you know, so we, we, we definitely think alike, um, which is exciting. Um, and, um, yeah, Moggy's definitely not one to, to be held down by any structured start, style of football. Mate, we, we, we got on this tangent talking about you moving to the 13 jersey and how it's uh, how it's been modernised. Tell me, at the start of the 2000 season, when you do move to the to jersey 13, I mean, do you think that, that opened the opportunities for you to play State of Origin? I mean, if you're still playing 5'8", I mean, you know, w- would you have been picked as sort of a utility sort of player? Or, I mean, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, did that 13 jersey, do you think it, it opened up a lot more opportunities for you? Yeah, look when I look at when I look at it now, yeah, you know, when yeah. you got someone like Brad Fittler ahead of you, yeah, um, yeah, there was never going to be an opportunity as a six, you know. So whether Chris Anderson thought that or not, or my timing was good, you know, Chris um, Tawara Nico, you know, retired and went to England, and the opportunity was there. Chris Anderson saw that saw um, me as someone to be able to play that different style of football, and yeah, to my luck, I, I, I sat in and I fitted. I fit that that role really well. Um, yeah, I, I, I played probably some of my best football at 13, you know. And you know, again, I'm fortunate for that opportunity that I got. And um, yeah, it definitely did open up the opportunity from a rep, from a rep point of view. That's for sure. Mate, uh, you go three nil in that series. New South, New South Wales quite dominant. You score a try in game two. What was the highlight of that series for you? I, I imagine it must have been a whirlwind few weeks. Yeah, it was. It was, you know. Wayne Pierce was a was the coach, and but again we had great leaders. You know when you when you got people like you know, Brad Fitland, Joey Johns, and you know t- to be there in that side, we, we just played with a lot of excitement. It's funny we didn't drink much first game. We only just got the win. We drank a little bit more when we went up to Brisbane, and to win, you know, to to close the series out at Lang Park, the old Lang Park, um, to go two 0 up in Queensland was. I don't think it's been done since. Um, and you know, 
we were more successful in that. We were more, I guess, a little bit more dominant in that second game. And then everyone knows about the third game. Um, I've still got shrapnel wounds from the grenade that Fletcher. That was going to be my next question, <laughs> mate. Far out. <laughs> I'll tell you what, he made us pay for about 10 years for that one. Yeah, mate. It, yeah, he did. And, um, you know, when I got back from England, I do a lot of origin functions, you know, and I keep putting it down as the, um, you know, I still got shrapnel and I'm, I'm still getting it by the way Queensland's uh, delivering to us, you know. Um, yeah, I thought, you know, going back into origin, I suppose, we, we had a tough 10 or so years and then we had a couple of successful years, but the way that they won game three last year and um, the look of the personnel they've got coming back and we probably had our strong side out there, um, things aren't looking real pretty again. No, it's a scary prospect. Uh, mate, in this state of origin team, you mentioned Joey, you mentioned Freddie. One guy I want to ask you about is Ben Kennedy. Uh, I think he's one of the more underrated or underappreciated players we've ever seen. Tell me about BK. He's a character, BK. Um, he's got some emotion, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, just a tough, tough um, good motor, just a competitor. Um, very awkward bloke to tackle, you know, um, BK. and But, yeah, had a great motor and a great ability to get around the paddock well. Um, yeah. Again, no, not another one of those guys that, yeah, probably never people forget about. Mm. That you know, they forget that he played for his country. They played played for his state for, for a number of Origin series, you know, and um, yeah, very successful back row. Um, it's just a style of foot back rowers now. The back rowers now are probably a bit more, like, you know, and they run a tight line and so forth. Whereas BK was, he was more of one of those just raw, just giving to the ball early and letting him rip through, you know, edge defence, you know, with his his awkwardness in his his running style, you know, and. Um, yeah, you're right. A very underrated, um, successful back rower in, in our era. For me, he's one of those guys like Brad Clyde or Brett Kenny because they didn't stay in the media and in the rugby league circles. It's sort of forgotten the sort of players they were and what they achieved. Right. Um, you know, sort of BK finished and then just you know, carried on his own merry way, you know. And, oh, look, there's so many players like that that have, that have sort of done that. And um, it's... Um, yeah, it's a credit to them, you know. Um, and you'd like to think that they, they probably should deserve more accolades and that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, it is what it is, I suppose. Mate, that was the uh, 2000 season. You obviously go on the World Cup at the end of that. You've spoken about that briefly. But, uh, you know, who, who was someone that you formed a really good relationship in that World Cup that potentially you didn't have one with before you went? Yeah, look, uh, me and Lockie became pretty close through that that period, you know. We, we got on really well. We played a bit of golf and enjoyed each other's company a bit. Um, oh, but I suppose, look, there's none that really stand out, you know, to tell you the truth. Gids was me roomy, you know. Um, you know, and it's sort of, that was a great thing about that club. That was a great thing about Chris Anderson as a, as a rep coach. He had the ability to bring people together, um, you know, douse any egos and, and get everyone on the same page to understand what we're here for. Um, plenty of good bonding sessions, that's for sure. He was very good at that. Um, as I said, there were some really good characters, so that we all just enjoyed each other's company. We, there was few of us that enjoyed a game of golf, and you know. And then it was funny enough in that World Cup, you know, we had a four week, four day, four day break between the pool games and the semi. Yeah, first the first semi it was eight of us. Eight of us went to Barcelona, and, and the rest I think went to Dublin. It was like a 
it's the middle of a middle of a World Cup, and it's like a four day bender in Barcelona. <laughs> it's like out of this world, and it's you think to yourself, I wonder if the World Cup side will do that in the next World Cup when they get in. <laughs> Oh, mate, well and truly crazy. done those days, aren't they? Oh, it was crazy. It was We beat Russia, I think, 96-2 or 96-0 on the Saturday night, and we had a really enjoyable night afterwards celebrating. We got picked up. I don't think I, don't think I even had much sleep, but we got picked up from the airport at 7.30 in a, like a maxi cab that we enjoyed some beverages in the morning on the way to the airport and enjoyed some more beverages on the way over to Barcelona and carried on over in Barcelona for a couple of days. And it was just a... remember Robbie Kearns got pickpocketed one night. In, we were going down through the... Um, um, they call the Rumblers in Barcelona down near the harbour. And um, these kids would bounce around. The next minute, bang, bang, his wallet got stolen. And then, then that went bang. It went between about three different hands and then... I'd had a few at the time, but well, I'd turn around and chase. I saw Darren Lockyer just go past me like I was standing still. <laughs> they actually, we ended up getting his wallet back. They start, they took all his money, but they, the good thing about it is he got his wallet back, you know. But yeah, look, there's some good memories, you know, and some good. Um, I was I was room with Gordon and uh, and Lockyer, and we had we had some fun, a bit of wrestling going on, which was which was a bit of fun. Um, but uh, look, mate, as I said, to have that experience in between a World Cup. A little bit different to how things travel these days. But um, again, I'm very grateful I've had that opportunity to do something um, that probably not too many people will get to do again. Now, mate, before when I mentioned that you scored a try in one game, you pulled me up and said you actually scored two. I'm going to get one back on you here. Uh, Russia, you beat them 110 to four. Fucking 11 of you scored tries. Wendell got four. Gerd's got three. (laughs) You didn't get on the sheet. What's doing? I don't know. Well, that's it, mate. It was one of those nights. I think it just wasn't. I wasn't in the right space at the right time, mate. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, a tough one. But it was. Uh, I remember it clearly. You know, it was just one of those games, and to get yourself motivated, I suppose it's a it's a challenge. But um, we obviously did enough to get to get the points. I think that might have been our challenge to try and get to hundred. We didn't quite get there. I do remember, but there was a game we played. We played against Fiji up in Gateshead. Wow, it was cold. Yeah, right. Almost snowing it was. It was damn cold. Um, I remember it was wet and cold. I remember that game clearly. Um, it was a tough one to get through. Mate, uh, returning to the Melbourne Storm, and it's uh, it's an interesting few years, obviously, leading up to 2006. Uh, Melbourne Storm, there and thereabouts, but never, never that top shelf um, contenders in the NRL. And I want to ask you about a couple of guys you would have met during this period. The first one is, of course, Craig Bellamy. He's still the current coach. Uh, for me... One of, if not the greatest coach we've ever seen. Tell me about when you first met Bellamy, mate. Yeah, it was good. I had a really good conversation. Bellamy had a couple of conversations with him because it, that off-season was actually – it was a year the actual – the Bali bombing was. Yeah, right. Um, we, we played a test in Wellington against New Zealand. Yep. Um, and the crazy thing about that Bali bombing, our whole team was booked to fly to Bali – originally on Garuda and we would have flown out the Saturday morning. Well, I wouldn't have because I would have played a test, but we would have flown out Saturday morning. But Danny Williams, who organized it, changed it to the corner so he could get our frequent fly points to fly out on the Sunday morning. Think to myself, wow, how the universe worked in our way, in our, our, our energy must have been in the right space that day, you know? And, um, and then I, I spoke with Craig, after the, after the test match and 
talked about. I actually had to go and go and get a, a cartilage repair on my knee. So, um, yeah, I had some really good conversations. And then once the preseason started, you know, Craig set his set his standards pretty highly very quickly. We, we do the tan track, which is across the river from the park, and um, we usually to start to get into our running groups for preseason run the tan track. Then we have a two minute break, and then we run it again. So it's a four k run. Then we have a like this five minute break and then we run it again. Craig ran it with us and won both times. Wow. So he stamped his authority pretty quickly um, around hard work. You know, he was always the first one in there to training. I was doing video and working hard and training himself. And he set an example. And, you know, that was you know, when we knew what, what he wanted to create. Um, yeah, we had some successful couple of years, but then, I think 2006 was our year when we really started hitting our straps. Mate, another guy I want to ask you about, and he, he's recently retired, Cameron Smith, obviously, and something that I find interesting, obviously he's, you know, for me, he's the greatest hooker we've ever seen by far and away. He actually made his debut at halfback, and uh, you partnered him in the halves. That must have been pretty special. Yeah, no, it was, um, I remember Smithy yeah, playing that game, and, you know, look, again, Smithy was a player, you know, that, ruffled his feathers you know so whether he was playing halfback or he was playing hooker or wherever he just he, he was someone that just got about his work and just got it done you know and and he still did that to to last year's grand final you know there was nothing that, that ruffled his feathers too much and I think that was that was something that Craig recognised very early I remember Craig saying to me that year he said I like this young bloke He's a, he said he never seems to nothing seems to phase him he just gets down and does his does the job, you know, and, you know, it didn't change and he still managed to do that. Yeah, look, you know, the four years I had with, with Smithy and, and Billy and Cooper and those those younger players, it was, one, it was an opportunity for me to, I guess, share my knowledge as well on them as well as, you know, to watch what they've gone on to be. Is, you know, it's, you know, again, someone like Terry Lamb and to share the field with those, those three and all those guys that have gone before them. You know, in a purple jumper is, you know, something I'll always be grateful for. Tell me about Billy Slater, mate. I, I believe when he came down there, he, he played in the centres to start, didn't he? He played in the centres and, um, you know, he was, I guess the timing was right for him as well. You know, Robbie Ross, you know, he struggled with osteitis through, through pre-season. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today and was really struggling and I just had to sort of sort of try and find someone to, to take his position and then this young kid come on and played in the centres against Cronulla I remember he scoring that long long field try against Cronulla his little leg beater legs flying out there and uh, you know someone was unearthed I remember him coming down and the year before he come down with Brisbane North Group and he had really long hair really really long hair but he played in my team because we were all mixed up with a heap of young goose. And I said, Jesus, this kid's got some pace and he's got some, he's got some goal about him. And as we know it, you know, the next, next year and what he comes on to be, you know, yeah. And it, it took him, 
a couple of years to get to learn his craft. And, and I guess the privilege and the great thing about him is he had a guy like Robbie Ross there that mentored him. And, and people don't re- recognize the amount of work that Robbie Ross did with Billy Slater to, to, to help him become the player he played as well on the ball a lot. Robbie Ross was such a, you know, one of the best fullbacks I've played with. Um, and a career cut so, so short, you know, because of injury. But yeah, Billy was an exciting young player and yeah, had a bit of, bit of spunk about him and, and it took him a few years to mature into the player he became. And um, as we all do, it takes time and look at what he, what he was capable of, of becoming. Mate, the end of the 2005 season, uh, you're playing mostly at 5'8". By this point, your halves partner is Matty Orford, another incredibly underrated footballer. But he leaves at the end of that season. Uh, the Melbourne Storm, from what I've gathered from from talking to Finchie a few weeks ago, I mean, there was no one you know beating the door down to play halfback. How did it come, come about that Cooper Cronk ended up being your partner? Yeah, it was funny that. It was, I guess... Um... Yeah, I'm not quite sure how it ended up being that way, but Craig just saw something in Cooper. And, and obviously that's when they bring Matty Johns in to try and really work with, with Cooper and try and educate him a little bit more on, on positional play as a half. Um, and there's something about Cooper Cronk that no one will ever come close to him was someone that works hard at um, you know, developing their game. No one did it better than, than Cooper Cronk. Cooper Cronk naturally wasn't a, a natural rugby league player. Yep. Um, you know, he was a hooker, a lock, sort of come through a bit of a rugby union background and naturally didn't have that nous of a, of a typical rugby league halfback. But through the education of Matty Johns and the determination and hard work of Cooper Cronk and the hours and the time that he put into his own craft at becoming a very good halfback, um, no one comes close to Cooper Cronk. And his success proves that. Uh, to become on to be such su- successful halfback at Melbourne and win numerous premierships, and then beget be able to win a premiership with Melbourne, then go to an opposition and win two premierships um, in two years. You know, look, that speaks for itself. Um, and as I said have an understanding or if they don't have an understanding there's no one I saw ever in the game that worked harder on their own craft and their ability to be better um, and use the people around them more than Cooper Croft Was there a game or a moment in that first season with Cooper where you sort of went oh you know we're going to be okay here like we, we've got ourselves a real footballer here I just think it was just his ability um, he was a very good talker his ability to push the team around and stick to structures, you know, and again, you talk about structure, there's no one better than playing to structure than Cooper. Yep. Um, but he had the ability then to, he had a great kicking game and use that as well. So he, he was also a very good player to use the strength of those around him very, very well. Um, so it, it didn't take me too long to understand that, um, you know, he's going to, he's going to do okay. And, um, you know, and, you know, history is, uh, you know, talks talks the rest, you know. Mate, 2006, um, Cooper's your halfback now. Smith's in this team. Slater's in this team. It's all it's all starting to come together, and it's the start of something pretty special for the Melbourne Storm. And I remember this season, and I'm going to guess there was a period in the middle where I think you guys won 10 in a row or something ridiculous. That was funny. It was a 
we went through a purple patch, um, and you know, and I, I, people don't really know this, but we we lost about two games in a row. Uh, um, we went up to Townsville. They beat us up there, and then we went to Leichhardt and got beaten by the Tigers. I get suspended from that game by touching the ref. Um, yeah, right. They went down. They went down a short side, <clears throat> close to the line, and the ref was right in front of me, and I couldn't get to the defender. Yeah, and he was going to go straight over. It was loud at Leichhardt. He was going over to, to blow the whistle, and I've actually pulled him by the shoulder and said, "You got to go up there and look up there, mate. You're in my way. I can't hear an obstruction." As it was, I got two weeks. For, for, for that um, as it was Craig sort of said to me said you need to work on some stuff you know in your game and this this and this and it was the two weeks I was out they won those two games and I still remember it right now where I was in my house and I get a call from Craig and he said you're gonna I'm not gonna be able to squeeze you in this week you're gonna have to go to North Sydney and play reserve grade oh, wow so I'm a senior player Again, played for my country, played for my state, had a successful career up until this date. And he was right. I wasn't playing at my best and I'd let myself probably get uh, not put in the work and put in the time in, in the player I am. And what that did at that club changed that club dramatically. That was a turning point at that. And I, I still think it was. It was a turning point of the culture of that club that, did not matter who you are, what you did, and how successful you'd been previously. If you weren't able to live up to play your full potential in your position in this team, not get a game. The shock to me was just as big as the shock it was to the other senior players or the other players in the team. Senior player had been dropped. Not because, well, I've been suspended for two weeks and then still didn't get a chance to come back and play. So ruffled the feathers of me. Fortunate enough, I went to North Sydney and did well and did everything I could do. And, and that was something that Craig came back to me. said, I was really, really impressed with how you carried yourself, knowing that you weren't going to play this week. Everything you could to be the best opposition with helping the team prepare away and play this week. And, you know, as it was, the rest is history. And I, I, um, I went straight back into the side the, the following week. But what it did do for me, it highlighted areas I need to improve in my game. And probably that last back end of year of 2006 was the most consistent football I played in my whole career because um, it made me really think deeply about working hard on my game. And hence, you know, um, consistency of that team hasn't really changed since about that period in 2006 to, to the current Melbourne Storm team. Mate. So it was a, it was a, it was a, and, and sometimes coaches have to make those decisions. I remember Maguire did it to um, Isaac Luke the year they won the premiership. He dropped him because he, I think he was on the drink after a game or before a game. They still won, but he dropped him because of that. And you've got a set of set of standards and that you, you accept. It's a bit like anything. Lowest level of, um, that you'll accept is your highest you'll ever go, you know. And, um, yeah, people don't know it, but I I personally think that that was a massive turning point of Melbourne Storm. And I was a, I was the uh, – I took the brunt of it. But, look, it changed me as a person. 
um, and changed me as a footballer. Scott, if you're honest, uh, when Craig Bellamy made that call to you and said he doesn't have a spot for you, were you expecting that to be the call to say, welcome back, essentially? Like, did you think you'd walk back into that side? Uh, well, not really. I, I didn't. I, yeah, you, you probably, I, I expected that. Yeah. Um, but, um, I hadn't done anything dramatically bad and, you know, we'd been beaten and so forth. But I, I guess that's why Craig came back to me a week, two weeks later and said, really, really impressed with the way you held yourself and the way you didn't position yourself as being done wrong done by. You put yourself towards the team and you commit. Um, again, it was a turning point for me you know, in my league, but in life it made me really think about who you are and don't, don't, take, don't take advantage of things and don't be yeah, always be grateful. Mate, you knock over the Dragons in the prelim final of the two in 2006. You take on the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, once again, a very strong Broncos side. Um, they'd sort of had a bit of a weird season. They sort of fell apart at the back end from memory. And then um, I, I think he moved Hodges to fullback. He moved Sean Berrigan around. That They made a couple of changes and they, they found a bit of form. Were you, were you confident coming into that grand final? Oh, yeah, we're confident because we're, we're always very successful against the Broncos. You know, I was confident and I was, you know, but the game showed was, and I've seen it a number of times since then, is nothing beats grand final experience, the occasion, to be ready for the occasion. And, you know, to our um, tough luck, I guess we had probably, we had half a dozen players just ready for that experience um, on that night. And yet they had a team full of grand final experience and a coach that knew about it, you know? So, um, you know, and that's, that's what it is. And look, I go through that game. There's a number of ref decisions that happened in the game. I've never been one to pick at refs, but there was a couple of turning points in that game that really changed that game. Um, really when I think Berrigan dropped it over the line, Billy Slater was gone. Um, he got called for raking the ball and they show the video, there's no rake. There's just there's a couple of different things. There was one where when the ball hit Ryan Hoffman on the head and go through and they go to score a try and they, they disallow it for some reason. Um, the penalty go two up. Sean Berrigan runs a, a shepherd and Billy takes I mean, makes a break and Billy takes him high. Um, they get the penalty. So there's really pinpoint things and I, I guess they're a highlight for me. Um, but they were turning points in the game and you know, and but but I don't put that down to us losing the game because of that. I just think we're, yeah, we just weren't ready for it um, as a group. And um, we, you know, um, Shane Webke got the got the um, uh, dream finish. I didn't. <laughs> and I'll um, I'll come back to your feelings around that game in a second. But for me. Game, I always look at it as a critical moment in the building of the Melbourne Storm. Obviously, you had the big three playing in their first grand final together, and I, I quite often think for the club moving forward, that loss for the big three, it might have been the best thing for them at that time. Is that sort of ha- how you look back on it, or what What are your feelings around it? Yeah, look, at the end of the day, I don't, um, yeah, I don't look at it that way. I don't look at it from their point of view. I look at it from my own personal point of view. But yeah, um, yeah look, it's... Losing any grand final at Urcha, 
you know, because of the amount of work and the work we did that year to put ourselves in a position. I think we were on our premiers about six rounds out. You know, we were we were, we were the best side. Um, but on the night and the experience that we showed, and the, we just we got beaten by a better side. And, you know, that's you know, no doubt, all of us took something from that game, and those three definitely did, and you know, the whole team did. You know, for them to go on, you know, and spank Manly the next year was, you know. That was a catalyst behind that. Mate, did that surprise you at all when, when you were watching from a distance that they went back and they won it the year after? No, not at all. Um, I knew when I left that club that that club was going to be a very, very successful club for a long period of time. And with those personnel that you got there, the coach you've got and, and the culture of the club and what that club's about, um, I think that'll ever change, you know, at the moment. While they've got the same coach and the same personnel there, um, I guess that's going to be the big question is whether Craig stays or whether someone else comes in, whether they can maintain that, that, that standard of, uh, uh, of, of quality football that they produce consistently. Mate, um, you know, I, I'm sure you're obviously proud of everything you achieved, but I imagine when you do look back on it, it must be a, you know, a tough pill to swallow that you were, you were there from day one, you missed 99. And then, I mean, you know, you play in the 06 grand final, you, you, you leave then and then they win the year after. I, I imagine it, it must be hard to look back on sometimes. But look, that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's, that's life and that's reality and it's how, you, it's how you move forward from that. And as I said, I, I, I take it as a, I'm forever full of gratitude. Yeah. You know, yeah, I didn't win those premierships and I didn't get to get that opportunity. But, but what I did get was the opportunity to be a part of that club yeah. To be part of, to be the first number six of that club, to be the first part team of that club, to be part of the growth of that club, to be part of, you know, a group of players that helped develop that club to what it's become, you know, and for that I'm grateful for. And that's something that people can't ever take that from me. Yeah. Um, a premiership's a premiership. I mean, we all want to win a premiership, but I'll never ever um, downgrade. I got from that opportunity that I had at that club. Mate, tell me about your move to England after that. Did you did you enjoy that experience? Sometimes I hear pretty mixed reviews from some of these guys I have on the podcast. Yeah, look, I, I did. I enjoyed it. Um, living in London. I'm glad I went to London, not up north, you know. And, yeah, we probably wasn't a successful club. We didn't go as well. And, and it's, that's probably what brought me to more time. <laughs> you know, you, instead of winning every week and winning every third or fourth week, it's, it's a tough tough gig but I enjoyed it with my family it was a great experience and, and I had the opportunity to stay a bit longer and I wish I had it at times you know I finished at 31 I was still fit and still they wanted me to stay in it I don't know it's funny the game's changed a lot now and you, you train differently now I think I'd had enough mentally more yeah. than anything and I think a lot of that got to do with the way you train then um, you know if I was flat in a game I was mentally flat I felt I was physically I was under fit, I was I wasn't fit, so I'd flog myself even more. But what you're actually creating is a snowball effect, and you make yourself even more fatigued. And whereas now, each individual player is monitored weekly and daily and hourly, and they can pick up when a player starts fatiguing, both mentally and physically. And they'll give you a couple of days off, and they freshen right up. And Cameron Smith's an example of it. You know, those players are playing longer now because they're able to freshen themselves mentally. They don't need the physical work, whereas Guy, 
wound myself down mentally by physically working myself too hard to think that, you know, you get to the point where I, I honestly, I'd had enough. Um, whereas I think if you I have the ability to work through things now, that's why players still seem pretty sharp late in their career because they, you know, they're handled a lot differently. So, um, yeah, in hindsight, yeah, I would have loved to have played a lot longer. I finished it, as I said, I finished at 31. You know, I could have went to 35, you know. So, but look, I, I enjoyed the time in England. It was a great experience for my family. And um, yeah, it was, um, it was fun. Forever a time in the 12 months after you did retire that you had a serious thought about coming back? Oh, yeah, I did because I was I was still fit, you know, and I was yeah. still, um, you know, had the opportunity. But I, I think I, I was thinking more about my family at that time, about, you know, what was suitable for them. And, you know, you, a lot of things go through your mind and where you go and what, you, what you're doing, you know. And um, it's, um, yeah, there was, a, there was a, a possibility, but as it was, it didn't, didn't end up that way. And um, yeah, things, I went on to do different things. Mate, obviously you're uh, you're coaching up there at Redcliffe at the moment. Uh, one guy I want to ask about, I imagine it must be interesting every day working with Hodjo. Tell me about him. Yeah, he's a good man, Hodjo. He's a character, but um, I'm very very passionate about his coaching as well. Um, he's really on that journey, probably similar to me, and really wanting to you know you know learn from Moggy, you know expand our own knowledge in, in coaching, and as well as you know really well educate young players. You know, and we both enjoy that side of it, but and that's a great thing about it. We've got a good feel about the club. He's a character and we always have a bit of a laugh and we um, we share different experiences and, you know, he played, obviously played plays with players that I I shared rep teams with and, you know, we get on really well. Um, and, and as I said probably earlier in this podcast is that's a great thing about rugby league is gives you the opportunity to meet people and associate with people that are, one, they're good people, they're successful and they will do anything for you and they'll, they'll help you out and, you know, and, and that doesn't change with the, the people you mix with at, at any level, you know. So he's a good man, Hodjo. And- One guy I want to ask you about that's playing for Redcliffe at the moment is a guy that I've seen a little bit of and I, I hold him very highly, Rocco Berry. I believe he's playing centre for you at the moment. Can you can you tell me about him? Uh, he's an exciting young kid. You, you know what? played on the weekend against Mackay. Yeah. It's the fourth game of rugby league he's ever played. Wow. Yeah, he's come from Union, hasn't he? Yeah, his father played for the All Blacks. So he's an exciting young talent. And what I like about him is because he's, well, he's so raw, to be playing at Q-Cup level, only being played rugby league four times, it's pretty amazing. You know, even from a, from a defensive point of view, you know, that's mind-blowing. So I'm excited to work with this kid. Got a lot of raw talent. And I think he's only 19, yep. 20. Um, so the possibility of what he can become uh, is exciting. Um, there's some some really good young kids coming through that that um, that squad from the Warriors that it's exciting to work with. Mate, uh, from from talking to Peter O'Sullivan here and there, he's come on the podcast a few times. It's it's one name that he kept on coming back to. And if uh, Peter O'Sullivan's got raps on you, it's saying something, isn't it? Yeah, he's um, Sully's been one to uh, identify some talent. <laughs> he's got a few that he's he's identified that, that have uh, gone on to be pretty good, you know, and uh, if he if he says this of Rocco and, you know, I, I could probably second that. Um, yeah, New Zealand Rugby League have got an exciting young talent that's um, that's coming, it's growing towards um, 
than being an NRL player. Last guy I want to ask you about in this side is Lachlan Tim. He's a guy that has been bouncing around Reggie's footy for a number of years. Every time I see him, he seems to be impressive. Uh, how's he going up there? Yeah, he's going well, Lockie. Um, I get on well with Lockie because he comes through that Storm 20s system. We speak alike and we, we understand the, the quality of systems that, that was um, ingrained in him when he was at that club. So, And he's doing really well. Good young talent. Always looking to improve himself. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to you know a lot of him doing it, having a really successful year and, you know, the possibility of pushing himself into the, an NRL position. Mate, what's on the cards for Scott Hill over the next few years? Obviously, you're an assistant coach there. What's the end goal? Is it a first-grade coaching job? Is it a Queensland Cup coaching job? What, what, what sort of a path are you planning on going down? I think um, I'm just in the process now of just building a skill-specific coaching sort of um, service as well, around halves and things like that. Um, it's a bit challenging being the assistant coach at Redcliffe at the moment, but um, but at junior level I can work with on on that on that sort of in that space. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if I know myself as a as a as a full time coach. I really like the skill specific and pulling things apart and um, identifying opportunity and in, in in more of an assistant coaching role. Um, so my long term goal is to go into that space, I suppose. Um, no better place to start than where I'm at with Moggy here at, at Redcliffe, learning a lot of him, you know, learning a lot about video and working with video and, and you know, video doesn't lie. So it's a great tool to coach and, yeah, just really getting a good feel of um, the environment again. It's been, I've been out of it for a while. I'm using every sort of opportunity and every session as a, as a learning curve for me. But, yeah, it's definitely a long-term goal to try and get to that NRL level as, a, as an assistant. Um, at some, in some capacity, um, and again, I think, I guess one of my strengths is obviously with this new rule change and this six again rule, and and really trying to re-educate halves is an area that I'm, I guess, I'm strong in, um, and and also taking my knowledge and uh, experience at, at being at Melbourne Storm and and what makes that club so successful. And as I said, it's not rocket science, but to be able to try and mentor and encourage young players to develop really good habits and successful habits, that's that's something I, I really enjoy. Mate, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be a natural footballer turned coach. Um, I, I'm really excited for the opportunities in front of you, mate. I uh, congratulate you on everything you've achieved and I really appreciate your time this afternoon, mate. Thank you. No worries, Nathan, mate. Anytime, mate. And um, no, it's a credit to, to be on here, mate. And as I said, gratitude something that... Uh, I'm always I hold highly in, in anything I do thank you mate I appreciate it imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.